I am so excited to bring everybody this conversation. Now, I am here with somebody that is a huge mentor of mine, someone that is a part of my family, has poured into me in every way imaginable. So to highlight him as an individual is truly an honor. So without further ado, let's jump right into it, presenting Jason Tyne. So Jason, I'm so excited to have you on here, and I really just want to go through a journey of your life, how you became who you are, because you have such a decorated past, you're such a successful entrepreneur, family man, and all of the above. So I want to start back when you graduated college. So you went to the University of Illinois, you graduated college there, and then I know you went straight into business, but what was the mindset that you had to have coming out of college to make you jump into the business world? Well, it was a... Uh not fast into the business world. I actually got started uh, with my economics degree and my finance degree. I actually became a financial analyst for a health insurance company in downtown Chicago. And uh, I got put on a team that was doing due diligence work for mergers and acquisitions. And I was in big meetings with big executives with big budgets. And here I was going around the, the country analyzing deals of acquisition. That's not what I went to school for. It's not what I thought I would do, but I've realized something about myself is one, I understood numbers. I understood business. I understood being in a room and I understood the power of being able to communicate financial information to executives who make decisions. And so that's kind of where I I started into the business world was in downtown Chicago working for a big company. And how old were you when you started that? I was in my early 20s. So early 20s, 20s, just married, just uh, fre- fresh into the fresh into the world. That's beautiful. Yeah. So being in your early 20s, saying that you were in board meetings with these top executives, doing due diligence for different companies, what was kind of the mindset you had to have going into there, being in your early 20s in such big environments? Uh, well, I think the first thing is sometimes you're a bit in- intimidated going going from college life when you're in frat parties and bars and a college <laughs> campus, to all of a sudden you're sitting in a skyscraper in downtown Chicago in an all-glass building in a, in a boardroom where people are walking in with three-piece suits that, you know, they've been doing what they've been doing for a long period of time. They've got the gray hair. They've got the, the good look. They've got the smarts. They've climbed the, the corporate ladder. And here I am walking into a room as a young 20-year-old uh, having to present information to them where serious, serious business decisions are, are being had. And so it's a bit intimidating at the beginning, yeah. uh, but then you realize uh, that you, if you believe in yourself, you're like, man, I think I know something. I think, uh, I think I understand what the work that I do. And now you understand a bigger picture and there's always a bigger game that's being played. And so that, that started to uh, tap into my appetite for wanting to know more. I didn't just want to do my job and go back to my cubicle and go back to crunching numbers and big macro Excel spreadsheets. I was like, man, I want to I want to be in all the other meetings that these guys are in. I don't want to just come in and present a piece of information because they were going from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. I'm like, man, what is it that, that they're doing or what is it that they know that I don't know? And I always knew something else was going on. Uh, and then I started to get a belief in myself, man, I, I deserve to be in those rooms where other decisions are being made. And why can't I make those decisions? Wow. So that's definitely a huge transition, like you said, going from college frat parties and having okay. fun to straight to the corporate world and getting all that. So when you were in there, you mentioned that you, ha- learn, you had to learn what they knew in order to kind of level up and go through. So where was your start in terms of educating yourself and building your own mindset to get to that level where you can you know, walk into any boardroom, go from meeting to meeting to meeting with these you know, big executives? Yeah, it was I had to take uh, where my wife and I lived. We lived in a western suburb of Chicago, so I had to take 
a 45-minute train ride into downtown Chicago every day, 45 minutes in, 45 minutes back. And I hated reading. In college, I didn't like reading, never read a book, didn't want to read anything, certainly wasn't introduced to personal development. But someone introduced me to a guy by the name of John Maxwell. And so this is back at the time he had a, a tape of the month club where you could buy a subscription. He'd send you this cassette tape, and it'd come with this little workbook, and the workbook was like fill-in-the-blank workbook. So I started listening to these tapes, an old Walkman that had a you know cassette player on it. So I'm sitting on the train. Most people are sitting there reading the newspaper or doing work. And that was the first time I started getting into personal development, and I devoured those things. You know, Every single month it would come, and every single month I would ride the train down to Chicago, ride the train back, listening, filling in, the, uh, filling in the blanks of the book, and all of a sudden my mind started opening up to personal development because I'd never been exposed to it before. Wow. So after you kind of got exposed to that personal development, you went through that you know, first experience with big executives. What made you make the decision to move away from that? And when did you move away from that? Uh, a friend of mine, it's a great question. A friend of mine uh, that I knew in Chicago, he had actually moved his entire family from Chicago down to Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And he became the chief marketing officer of a large insurance company. And he and I were good friends. Uh, we got along well. He called me one time out of the blue. And he said, hey, Jason, are, do, you, do you love what you're doing? And it was just at that point in time I had been doing what I've been doing for about a year. And I didn't love what I was doing because I'm like, man, why can't I take the fast track up this corporate ladder? Like, why can't I go from crunching numbers to making decisions? But it's like a slow, the ladder is a slow moving train in a big corporation. And so I said, do you love what you do? And I said, no, I don't love what I do. I understand what I do, but I don't love what I do. And he said, hey, would you be willing to come down and interview for the company? I need a vice president of sales that will be responsible for all of North America. I'm only 26, 27 years old at the time. My wife and I didn't have any children. I was like, sure, you're a good friend of mine. You've thought of me. You called me. I'm not satisfied where I am. There's probably another opportunity somewhere else. And what's the worst thing that could happen? I can go down there and not get the job, or I could go down there and get the job and don't like the job and then just move back. Yep. So it was, it was a friend offering me an opportunity. So at this point, you're still in kind of your young, mid-20s going into interview for this job at a big insurance company. Walk me through that interview process. How did you get in there with your friend's recommendation? How did that interview go? And what made you ultimately decide to take your family, move them all the way down to Georgia and start pursuing that? Yeah, it was uh, this time in my life where you know I knew what I knew. Now, now I'm in business. Now I, had, I sat in some boardrooms. I sat in some meetings. I'm like, ah, oh, these guys aren't any better than me. I'm younger than they are. Uh, I think I understand something. I understand uh, numbers, and I also understand how to communicate those numbers to make a decision. And so when I flew down to Atlanta, Georgia, my buddy got me the interview, and he was a good friend of mine, but he, he prefaced it. And this is a moment in time where I'm very arrogant and very ignorant and probably also very naive, right? I, I think I'm as good as they come. And so my friend invited me down there, right? So that just puts like your, your arrogance up a little bit better. Hey man, this is a friend of mine. I'm gonna fly him down to Atlanta. And he said, hey, you're gonna, go, you're gonna go have an interview with the president of the company. But uh, I have news for you. You're probably not gonna be in there longer than 20 minutes because he's very direct and to the point. Uh, and if you're not in there for 20 minutes, you didn't get the job. So that's just like his, his uh, threshold. <laughs> Anything less than 20 minutes, you don't get the job. Anything more than 20 minutes, you probably got a shot. And I said, no problem, man, I'm gonna be in there for an hour. And he's like, no, but most people can't make it 20 minutes. So it became a game for me. It's like, you said I can't do something, watch me go do it. And so I'll never forget that interview. It was a, it was a phenomenal interview. It told me uh, who, who, who it's like to, to run a big corporation. I'm talking about multiple employees, uh, a business that goes all, all over North America. And this guy, uh, the CEO of the company, is who, is who I'm interviewing with. 
And he said, well, why do you want the job that you're interviewing for? And I told him, I don't want the job that I'm interviewing for. I want your job. And he's yeah, exactly right. He started laughing. He goes, yeah, everyone says that, but they don't understand the mental, physical, and emotional challenge that comes with my job. I said, you asked the question, right? You asked the question of why do I want this job? I told you I don't want this job. I want your job because I think it's the ultimate challenge to challenge myself physically, mentally, and emotionally. No problem. I think that I can run something. I think I can do something. So if this is just a stepping stone for me getting into your seat, and I also told him I think that you have bigger dreams. You don't want to be in that seat the rest of your life. You're young. You're sharp. You're talented. I think you need to be somewhere else. And so when you exit that seat, someone needs to come into that seat. That's why I'm here. And then he proceeded to tell me a couple things that have always stuck with me in business. Number one, he said, if you have to keep asking me a question all the time about how to do something, one of us doesn't need to be here. And so that always stuck with me. It's okay to ask questions, but if you constantly have to rely on like uh, going and getting permission to do something, then really what did I hire you to do? And then two, he said, if you have to keep asking me what to do, then one of us doesn't need to be here. And number two, you can make a decision, which is what I always wanted to do in the previous job was I want to be the one that's making a decision. He said, you can make a decision, a couple of stipulations. You can't just make it twice. And when you make a decision and if it doesn't go right, you have the ability to make a six-figure mistake. So immediately he was giving me permission to be myself, make a decision, fail, but learn from my failure. And I said, you know what? This is a guy I want to work wow. for. And how long did that interview end up lasting? <laughs> Less than almost an hour. So I walked out skipping and I looked at my buddy and I said, I think I got the job. And he's like, man, you're in there a long time. I said, yeah, we had a lot to talk about. That's awesome. So then now that you got the job, you moved your family down to Georgia, you and your wife, freshly married, moving, making that big jump. Walk me through kind of how that process worked. How did it develop with that career path? And what did you like better than the old one? What'd you like worse? Uh, the thing, the thing that I liked is I wasn't um, confined to the same office building every day. I wasn't commuting 45 minutes on a train and 45 minutes back and being like this. This I felt like a cattle being herded into into the city to go to work, and then a piece of cattle going back home. This was we live 20 minutes from the office. My wife and I didn't have any kids at the time, and I loved that I wasn't confined to the office. I was a vice president of sales, so it took me all throughout North America, so all throughout the United States and all throughout Canada. I spent more time not in the office than in the office, and so I got exposed to so many different people, people that were out there chasing their dreams. I was working with commission-only salespeople. They're trying to build their business, and I, I just learned so much, and the personal development continued. I got more and more into personal development. I got to see people out there chasing their dreams, going after their destiny, trying to fight for financial freedom for themselves, and learning what was happening out there, and then being able to come back to an office where decisions are being made, and I had the authority and I had the capacity to make decisions that impacted all of these people's lives. And so it just opened up my eyes yeah. to, I don't like being in an office, I like being out, I like being with people, and I like being with people that are doing something with their life. Yeah, so having the position of vice president of sales for a big insurance company, what was some of the strategies you used as a young entrepreneur to help increase those sales at a young age when you're entering this huge industry of finances and insurance? What were some of the things that you implemented to help boost those sales? It was, a, it was a couple of things. I kept it really, really simple. I understood numbers and I understood that there's leading indicators and there's lagging indicators. And I knew that if I could just focus on two leading indicators and I poured everything into those two uh, leading indicators, the lagging indicators, meaning revenue would go up uh, through the ceiling. And so I just focused it. There's a lot of things that you can focus on in business, but if you focus on a, a couple of small things like two or three, 
and you go at it and you become an expert at those two things, then big things can happen. And so I found the two metrics that meant something to the business. And then what I did was I said, I'm not good enough to be able to do this myself. I went and formed two separate partnerships with two external companies, the best at metric number one and the best at metric number two. And we formed a partnership. And then the three of us worked in unison. And all of a sudden, over an 18-month period of time, our sales increased 65%. We went from doing hundreds of millions of dollars a year to over billions of dollars a year. Wow. Wow. So then you go on to travel the world with some of the biggest names in the industry. What was the transition like from that? You were vice president of sales. You just moved your you know, family over to Georgia. You're rock and rolling, making you know, from 100 millions to a billion. What made you make the decision to not continue th- down that path and go down the path of educating the world? A mentor. So the two metrics that I was focused on, I said I formed two external partnerships. Yep. One of them was with a guy by the name of Blair Singer. Who, who became my mentor. So we traveled around. He's a sales and leadership expert, and he's a teacher's teacher. He's a mm. pure educator. And he poured into me. You know, Over that 18-month period of time, he taught me how to educate. He taught me the meaning of education. He taught me why to care for someone, to educate them. It wasn't to put on a show. It was to pull out of people what they rightfully deserve to get pull, pulled out of them. And so he challenged me. You know, after spending 18 months every other week doing uh, big educational seminars with him, with all of our independent salespeople, he said, hey, man, you've got a gift, you've got a talent that I think God put inside of you, and the world needs to know that. Mm. Uh, You need to quit your job, and you need to go speak out in the world because the world is waiting for a message from someone like you. And so uh, same thing, man. I was still ignorant, still arrogant. You know, I'm whooping, whooping ass, you know, in the business. I'm young. We just had our first child at the time, my, uh, my oldest son, Davis. And life was good. You know, I was making great money. I had a no-limit credit card. Numbers are going up through the ceiling. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm seeing myself one step away from the chair that I said I wanted to get into. I'm like, man, if I just stay here, I'm going to easily be able to, to make my way up through this insurance company. And great things are going to happen. So I didn't want to leave. I wasn't looking to leave. Life was phenomenal. It's when a mentor says something to you. Uh, you take it to heart. And he said, you're going to hit a wall. And I, I immediately turned it down as he's like, hey, you should go out into the world and speak. And I immediately turned it down. I said, I'm doing great. He said, no, you're going to hit a wall someday. But when you hit the wall, make sure you call me first. Mm-hmm. And so I honored him as a mentor. Maybe another six or seven months went by and I did hit the wall. It was the third time I left a family vacation to go speak at an event. I don't know why it didn't bother me the first two times, but the third time it bothered me. And on the flight back, I'll never forget, it was from Banff up in Canada. Uh, to Scottsdale, Arizona, where we were on vacation. And it was on that flight back that I actually hit a wall. And, you know, God has his way of doing what God does. And when I landed in Scottsdale, it happens to be where my mentor Blair lives. And I said, you know what? You warned me that I was going to hit a wall. And I've hit that wall, and you need to come tell me how to get out of my job. I think I'm ready now. Mm. And so him and his wife came over and, and uh, talked to me and my wife at our hotel in the lobby for, for many, many hours, telling me exactly how to get out of my job, what I need to do, the risks that were there, and that if I trusted him, uh, that good things would happen, that he would introduce me to people. And so it still took me you know, a few months after that conversation to actually quit my job, to, yep. pull, the, to pull the ripcord out of that company and go off on my own where I'm not making any money. And wow. now I'm just being being exposed to the world. And so the first event that I did, my, my mentor Blair said, hey, I want you to come fly to Singapore to help me with this event that I'm doing this five-day program. I said, no problem. I've seen him do programs and workshops. I know every single thing he's going to teach like the back of my hand. And uh, the first guy, I didn't know where Singapore was, right? So I was like, man, I'd where's Singapore? Singapore's like on the other side of the planet from Atlanta. 
And so I asked him a question. I said, well, how do I, uh, who do I go to to get my flight? And he goes, well, that's you. And mm. So I'm used to a company credit card. I'm used to company corporate travel. I'm used to a company paying for my hotel. And now I got a fast deep dive lesson into entrepreneurship and the ability to survive. And so I had to pay for my own way. I had to pay for my own flight, pay for my own hotel, travel to the other side of the planet. And then I sat there for five days. You know, day one goes by, he's teaching, I don't get introduced. Day two goes by, he's teaching, I don't get introduced. Day three goes by, I'm getting mad at this point. Like, dude, I thought I'm going to quit my job so I could go speak and teach around the world. I'm doing nothing but sitting in a chair in the back of the room. And I, now I'm just mad. I'm like, how am I going to tell my wife I quit my job and I'm over here? I, don't, I'm not, I had to pay to be here. I pay for my flight, pay for my hotel. I'm not getting paid and I'm not even speaking. I'm not even talking. I'm not even being introduced. I'm sitting in the back of the room like I'm like just a piece of wood on the wall. Day four goes by, day five goes by, and I have enough respect for my mentor to not say anything to him during the five-day workshop. But as soon as that five-day workshop was over, you know, I was like a flaming dragon. Like, how does it, how does this work? Tell me exactly how this works. How am I going to make money? I just quit my job. And he's like, well, what, do you remember the, the husband and wife couple that you're sitting next to? And I said, yeah, I remember them. They're sitting next to me every single day for five days straight. He goes, yeah, what you didn't know is that they're the owners of the world's largest personal development event organization on the planet. They own the rights to Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Richard Branson. I told them about you, and I told them that you deserve to be on their stages, and they just wanted to see if I'd be willing to serve. Wow. And he goes, good news is you passed the test. So you never know when you're going to be put on a test, but it was my mentor uh, that gave me the opportunity, that told me something about myself that he saw bigger inside of me than I saw in myself that started to crack open my awareness to, to leave my job to go out into the, into the world. So that was the beginning point of my journey into speaking around the world. Wow. So the first thing is the flight to Singapore is, what, 26 hours, something like that? It's a long time. Yeah, it's a long ways, man. And from the time I lost my house to the time I get to the hotel, yeah, it's like 26, 28 wow. hours later. And you paid for that whole flight. Were you sitting, I'm assuming, not first class? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, no, I mean, I'm sitting in the coach economy class, <laughs> back row, middle seat, because you know, I'm like, dang, man, like this is... This is a disaster, and that, I think wow. that I think at that time the, the the one connecting flight that I had I think was through India or something, and there were five seats in the middle. Wow. Well, sometimes you have three seats in the middle, yeah. so all you got to yeah. do is crawl, crawl over one person. But I'm in the middle. There's five seats. I got to like crawl over a family. I'm like, <laughs> uh, excuse, excuse me, I got to get out of here. I, I'm and I told myself never again. Like I'll do it this time, but man, I don't wow. I don't belong in the back seat in the middle of a back seat and that like a. Wow. So Sardine. Going from bringing a company up 65% in their sales, unlimited credit card, moving it, taking this risk, believing in your mentor, to a 26-hour flight to build up all the, you know, crawling over families, doing all that, sitting in the back of the room, and then somehow they these two people were sitting right next to you because of your mentor setting that up. So what was your... What was your mindset going into that? I know you said you were angry towards the end, but you had enough respect to not bring it up during the five-day workshop. So what were you doing in that five-day workshop to make those that uh, husband and wife look at you and say, you know, you passed the test? Battling myself every single day, every single hour sitting there saying, man, I want to talk. Like I came here to teach. I came here to educate. I came here to show myself to the world. Uh, but it's a lesson of you versus you every day, man. So at any moment in time, I'm there because of a mentor. And I, I think that sometimes people don't respect people that way or they've never found the right mentor for them. But when you find the right mentor, your trust in that person 
uh, is everything. And so I knew that I've been with this person. I knew he saw something in me, uh, and I trusted him. And so now it's a it's a situation where I can learn what's being taught in the room, but the lesson that I'm getting is trust. Mm. Is trust yourself, trust your mentor. God put you here for a reason. Just keep honoring it. Just keep sitting here. Just keep uh, making the environment as good as possible for my mentor without disrupting. He's there for a purpose. There's thousands of people in this room. These people paid a lot of money to sit in a room with my mentor for five days. They deserved the best experience possible. So if it meant me rearranging chairs during a break, if it meant me filling up water bottles during a break, if it meant me uh, putting up clean flip charts during a break, whatever my mentor needed to make the context of the room the best room possible for these people to learn, I always learn you serve first. It may not be what you want, and you may know that you're destined for more, but when you're put in an environment to do something, you know sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow, and sometimes you get out of the way. But if, you're, if you have uh, a belief in yourself and you're willing to go to war with yourself all day long, do you really trust you? Do you really trust you that you made a decision and you put yourself in a situation where trust is now on the line? And I always trusted myself and I trusted my mentor and I trusted that God was doing something. I just didn't know what it was, but I was there to serve and that was wow. what I was going to do. So then you passed the test. You were in Singapore. You passed the test. You fly back. Was it... Explain that process to get started in that. Was it instant? Did they call you right away and say, hey, we're putting you on a stage in, you know, wherever? No, at that, what, what was that yeah, process? At that point, I was still working with my mentor, Blair. They said, yeah. hey, we do events with Blair all over the world. Uh, we'd like you to be able to uh, help participate in the events with him around the world. So that's how it started. It was me uh, doing events with my mentor. And then from there, um, they saw that I had, then they saw me on a stage, then they saw me what I could do. And then that led to, Hey, would you be open to, uh, MC an event since you're already here doing this event with Blair? Uh, we have another event that's going on in Singapore. Would you be willing to be an MC? Just be a host yeah. for it. And I'm like, man, I really want to teach. You know, I just don't want to introduce people. I want to be introduced. Like I want to be the one being introduced. And so that's how it started there was just emceeing, get, oh. not getting paid anything to do it. Uh, they would take care of a hotel for me, but not getting paid to, for the service that I was going to provide, which is just being MC and a host. And, and then I started learning. And then I started building a relationship. And then I started building trust. They started to trust me. They started to see me on a stage. Because in between introducing people, I would teach, I would educate, even if it was for one minute or two minutes. But I said, if I ever get a minute or two minutes on a stage, I'm going to give it everything I've got. And you're going you're gonna to know that I have a story to tell. And I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to prove to myself and I'm going to prove to everyone else in this industry that I deserve to be on the stage and I deserve to be on the stage with the biggest of the biggest in the world. Wow. So you said you mentioned you were doing this all pro bono. You were doing this all for free. How long did that last? Too long. It was a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you go a long time without, without making money, without doing something. You believe in yourself. You yep. see you, the opportunity is all around you. You're in the middle of the opportunity. The opportunity produces hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenue to everybody else but you, but you're a participant in it. Wow. It's, a, it's like a train wreck in your brain. It's like a record scratching on the table. It's like, man, I can't believe I'm in this, in this culture where it's the world's best and the, everything's being taught about business and money and financial independence. And here I am just being a participant in the event, but not making any money. And so eventually those things change. Eventually people realize your value. People realize, man, you, des you deserve to be on the stage. And when that moment comes, because you've put in the work, 
right? And because you've been dedicated and because you didn't ask for too much in the beginning, it's for me, it was more about the experience than the money. I knew that if I had the experience of speaking with the world's best in the world, I would learn how to become one of the world's best. I knew if I had the experience of being around business people and entrepreneurs that I too would become one. I knew that if I could not only do something on the front of the stage, but something behind stage, backstage, if I could sit in meetings like I had already done early in my life with these big business deals and mergers and acquisitions work, now I'm backstage listening to due diligence. These are all experiences. And I think most people focus on the short-term money, the quick fix, just pay me now. And I think that they don't realize the greatest reward you can get is an experience because nobody can take away my experience and nobody has my experience. Wow. So you go through this whole process and I know you mentioned earlier in the conversation, you had your first kid. How does your family feel and what was the support that they had to give to have somebody like you traveling the world, not making money, doing it for free? Did they see the vision as well? And what was that kind of dynamic like? I don't think that my wife has always been the greatest supporter. Me. Always believed in me, always trusted me, never told me not to do something. It was probably harder for her than it was for me because she's not knowing what I'm doing. She's not in, in the event. She's not in the arena. She's not with the people I, I am. She's not learning the same things I'm learning. Doesn't really know what I do. She just knows I'm gone and I'm supposedly teaching or educating or doing something, but we didn't have any family with us around. So when we first saw it, it was very hard for my wife, right? So I'm gone two weeks at a time, then home for a little bit, then gone two weeks at a time. Newborn baby, you know, Davis was just just born and, you know, no support system. So it was very challenging and very hard, but she was always, always supportive, always believed in me, which was great for me, right? Which was, man, the, uh, if I'm halfway around the planet and I'm away from my family, the whole reason why I'm doing it for is for my family. Uh, it was great to know that I had an anchor at home uh, that was going through her own problem of man being a, a basically a solo mom, <laughs> brand new mom, solo mom, no no mom and dad around, no sister at the time around. Our family would come and visit to help out a lot, which we just have a loving, supporting family. That man, if it was gone for a couple of weeks, then yeah, my family would come in and and help out. But it, it was challenging. It was rough. But you learn you learn a lot about why you're doing something, and it makes the reason for doing it even greater. Absolutely. And I, I've known you for a good bit, and you are a dedicated family man. I've had the privilege and honor to spend some time with your family, and just the connection you guys have is absolutely extraordinary. So then you go through emceeing and you go through all the events, then you reach that point where it was too long of not getting paid. Now you move into being more of like the paid MC and everything like that. Go through some of, uh, some of the top experiences you've had. You mentioned you were with some of the biggest people in the industry. We have the picture behind you of all these legends that are on there, you included as being one of the top legends. Now explain, give a couple examples of just some cool experiences that you had with some of these top names. I think some of, some of the greatest things, it's almost like uh, the, the these people are like their own rock bands, right? So <laughs> it's like I got, to, I got to be a participant in, uh, imagine you're in a rock band and like you went and toured the world, world with this rock band. Well, I had the unique experience of being in multiple bands at the same time and they were all rock stars, right? And so Tony Robbins would have his own uh, tour schedule. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki would have his own tour schedule. Gary Vaynerchuk would have his own tour schedule. And then in between there, we'd add people from the Shark Tank. We'd add Richard Branson in. We'd add these other people in, uh, celebrities, entertainers, um, professional athletes. And so I got to be a part of multiple tours, right? And so I got to see the world's best of who they really are. 
And it's the reason why I loved being around them. It's the reason why I love serving their environments. I mean, Tony Robbins has 105 companies, does over like $7 billion a year in revenue. Uh, Robert Kiyosaki, being able to travel the world with him, go on airplane flights with him. Tony Robbins is rocking his own private jet, which I wasn't a part of that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, what's cool about Kiyosaki is we got to fly around together. We got to travel around together. And so I got to learn that both of these gentlemen are great entrepreneurs. But at the heart, they're both mission-driven people that are pure, are pure educators. Their whole purpose is to educate people, to educate and empower people. And that actually became a personal mission of mine. I was like, man, I love being around them. I love what they do. I love that they teach. I love that they educate. I love that they empower. But more importantly, I love that they're entrepreneurs. I love that they build businesses that create jobs, that create products, that solve people's problems. But their heart is around education. And so the, being around that became this internal ethos for me that, man, I am that. That is what I love. I love being in the environments. I love being in the different environments. And it's not only the the front stage. What I loved also was just backstage of seeing how they were backstage, seeing how authentic they were, seeing what it was that they were really doing. Because one is teaching a philosophy or teaching a strategy. The other is, do they actually do it? And unfortunately, in the personal development world, there's a lot of people that don't do what they're teaching. But these people do what they teach. And I'm like, man, I want to be that. I want to be authentic. I want to be powerful. And I want to add value to people's lives. And so it just had a tremendous impact on on me. Wow. And to kind of conclude the podcast, just you said you had to go or got to go with Robert Kiyosaki, travel with him. And he's a huge educator, does some powerful things. What was one bit of advice during those travels that has always stuck with with you? I was was actually, uh, I know exactly what it was for me. I mean, there's a a lot, but one in particular, because it was personal. Uh, So we were flying, I can't remember, we were flying from... the Middle East to Malaysia or from Malaysia to Vietnam. It was, it was somewhere in there. I, I can't remember the exact flight, but I remember sitting next to him on the airplane. And Robert was always reading a book. He's always a student. And he had had this thick book and it was dog-eared and it had notes in it. And he's sitting next to me. He's probably 20, 30 years older than me. And I'm tired. He's got to be tired too. But I'm sitting there. I'm not reading a book. He's reading a, reading a book. Not just reading it, but like devouring it, like writing notes in it and putting sticky notes on it. I'm like, man, I've never seen someone devour a book like this. And he looked at me and he goes, well, what book are you reading? And I always have a book with me, but this time my book happened to be up in a bin uh, up above me. And I said, oh, I got a book up there, uh, up there, and I grabbed it. And he, said, he asked me a question, which always stuck with me. He said, are you reading that book because you already agree with 80 to 90% of what's in that book? Or are you reading that book because you completely disagree with it and you're actually trying to learn? And that was a big lesson to me. I was like, man, if you were to go to, go to my home and you were to look at my entire library of all my books, there are already books that I already agree with. And I think that's a problem for people when they learn. He told me there's three sides to a coin. Most people think there's two sides, heads and tails. He said there's three sides to a coin, Jason. There's heads, there's tails, and then there's the edge. Wisdom comes from learning from the head side of the coin and then learning from the tail side of the coin, but then standing on the edge and seeing what this person has to say and then seeing what this person has to say and making a choice for yourself that's the wise move for you to make, not based on what someone else said. And so I I never forgot that. As a matter of fact, he's like, hey, you need to come to breakfast with me tomorrow morning. I'm actually inviting a professor, an economics professor, to have breakfast with me. And the reason I have him coming to meet with me is because I completely disagree with him. But that's that's a lesson in learning is challenge yourself. Don't just learn things that you already already agree with because then it limits your learning. It limits your capacity for understanding. Challenge yourself to learn in multiple things. Learn things, read things that you don't agree with. 
so that it increases your capacity, increases your awareness, and allows you the opportunity to make more wise decisions for your family. Wow, I think that's a phenomenal way to kind of wrap this one up. If you guys have any other questions or anything, make sure to leave it down in the comments. This is a phenomenal educator destined to do even more phenomenal things than he's already accomplished in his life. This was just a sneak peek into his past. You are going to want to pay attention and make sure to stay tuned for his future because it is gonna be absolutely remarkable. So for even more great content like this, make sure to stay tuned, subscribe, and follow Play Big 08.